Welcome to Beer Prime. This is episode 48 with two guests, M. Sorter, Pints and Panels, and Clark Coslett-Hughes from Bedlam Brewery. Thanks for joining me again for this episode, which does feature a brewery guest, Clark Coslett-Hughes, the head brewer from Bedlam Brewery in East Sussex. But my first guest is from a lot further afield. She's based in Connecticut, USA, and you'll know her from her illustrations that she publishes under the name Pints and Panels. Well, she's written and illustrated a brand new book called Hooray for Craft Beer, And it's absolutely brilliant. I've read it already, and it contains her great cartoons, as well as lots and lots of information about craft beer. We're not going to have any beer news this week, because I've got the two guests, so I'm going to get straight into it and welcome M. Sorter to the podcast. Hi, Em. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Paul? I'm very good. Thanks so much for joining me. And uh, you're all the way over in Connecticut at the moment. That's true. We have an ocean separating us. That is true. Indeed. Excellent. <laughs> We're here to discuss your new book, Hooray for Craft Beer, uh, an illustrated guide to beer, um, which uh, you and your publishers kindly sent me. Thank you so much for that. Um, and I've read through it and it's just brilliant. I really, really love it. Um, so we'll come on to the book uh, in a little bit. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, the other things that you do, because, of course, a lot of people will probably know you from your your website and your um, social media um, handle pints and panels yep yep that's what I do that's my full-time job so working on visual beer education <laughs> yeah I, I you know I've, I've written that down in my notes because I love that phrase visual beer education because I mean you know as we'll get onto the book that is what it's all about you know it's all illustrated but it's not just a whole load of cartoons there's a lot of great information in there as well. It is educational, um, but done in a an easier to digest way, I guess. Um, you know, just before we were recording, I was saying about how, you know, some beer books, they just go into so much detail and it's just, you know, just such weighty tomes that, you know, you, you don't perhaps learn as much. You don't retain it perhaps as much as you would when, as, as you do when uh, in your book you're reading through and, you know, looking at the cartoons, nice little kind of jokey little things here and there. And um, I think it's a, a great way to, uh, to to teach people things. Thank Excellent. you. Thank you. I appreciate no, that. No yeah. problem at all. So when, when did you decide to start doing this? So Pines and Panels is 12. Uh, I started it in, I was in graduate school at the Center for Cartoon Studies, which is a cartooning program in Vermont. So mm-hmm. I always... I feel like I have to always, I always say it's a real place because I feel like people would be like, wait, you went to a cartooning school? I'm like, no, it's real. Uh, my class That's, had, yeah, it's a silly. Sounds it's, great. It sounds it great. Was, I mean, it was, it was fun. It was in Vermont at the beginning of the craft beer boom. So we're talking, I was the, I lived in Vermont from 2009 to 2011. So mm-hmm. it was a really great time to be living in Vermont. Um, now, obviously, it's blown up. There's a brewery actually across the street from the school that was not there. 
when I wish it was there because it has a great reputation. Yeah. Uh, but so it was a great time for beer. And I loved beer. I had loved beer for years. So I started Pints and Panels, which was mostly a review site. So I would review beers and it gave me an excuse to basically drink beer and try different beers. I worked at the beer store in New Hampshire, actually, because I lived right across the river and I would buy beers and try them and rate them. And I didn't really know what I was talking about for the most part, but that's the best part about beer is you kind of, you learn from what you're like, this doesn't taste right. Why? Oh, you know, I don't know what this beer like is. Oh, I like this. What other beers would I like? And Mm. then visual beer education started around, I did a book in 2017 called beers for everyone with a publisher Mm. from Japan. And that book is very, I'm a new drinker. What should I, as an, I'm a new American beer drinker. What do I drink where I learn about things that I like? And so it's very brand heavy, um, easier to find larger um, brands. And so that was my first foray into beer education. And then I doodled um, like a style in 2019 where I was like, "Uh, German Pilsner, these are the things. And people loved it. And I was like, oh, this is this is how pints and panels yeah. should go. So. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I see on your website that you sell, uh, as well as things like glassware and T-shirts, uh, the, the prints. And I can imagine it's a, a fantastic thing to have up on the wall in a, in a tap room, brewery, uh, you know, bar, that kind of thing. Yeah, I just saw them for in the wild for the first time. Wow. I went to, a, I was actually doing an event in Brooklyn at Wild East Brewing. And I didn't know, I know that I knew that someone there had ordered them, but I thought I didn't know who they, if they were for the tasting room. So there were two posters in their tasting room that I wasn't expecting to see. And it was, I got them, I'm not gonna lie, I got emotional. It I was, yeah. it was really, <laughs> and then I saw my first t-shirt in the wild at the Craft Brewers Conference. I was like, I, it's just so, it's so, it's humbling and strange, but also really exciting to see how, Pints and panels and visual beer education have really taken off. And it makes me very happy that people want to learn about beer and that pints and panels can make it accessible and free. All my stuff's available on the website for free. So if you want to learn about beer, just go to the visual beer archive. I'm starting to do a visual beer archive in Spanish because I have quite a large Central and South American following. So making sure that everyone, you know, beer's for everyone. I want everyone to learn about beer. So making it as easy as possible. Yeah, is important. Excellent. And they, people can access that on pintsandpanels.com. Yep. Uh, so as you say, all for free. Um, but there's also a shop there if you want to actually get something to to wear, to drink beer from or to put on the wall. Yep. Uh, and of course, the book. The book, the book oh, yeah, is available there too. Yeah. yeah. I will sign it for you. And mail. I've mailed, I mailed one to Switzerland. I've mailed, it's fun to see people from all over the world order you know i'm actually in the process of mailing one to hong kong and switzerland and chile and it's been really nice to see how excited people are about the book and visual beer education yeah okay uh so as well as just you know writing about beer and loving beer but you've also uh are you on advanced cicerone at the moment or have you you've gone up to master no, I'm an advanced Cicerone and I will stay in advanced Cicerone with okay. pints and panels. I, I, so I took the master twice and I got close and I, and I thought about taking it for a third time, but with pints and panels taking a lot of my time and you need, a, you know, if you're studying for the master, 
you're going to put in some serious hours. Yeah. And um, so I thought about it pretty heavily and was like, you know, I, I just don't have the time to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, having your math, you know, advanced is nothing to sneeze at. Um, oh, I was just so. about to say that. It, advanced <laughs> Cicerone is no is no um, no bad thing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and uh, you're a BJCP certified beer judge as well. I am. And uh, a few years back, you were in Wine Enthusiasts 40 Under 40. That was, yeah, I got Amy Poehler's makeup artist did my makeup for the photo shoot, and there was a lot oh. of wine, and I definitely drank more than I should have. Uh, the there's a photo in the magazine of me and a bunch of people and I'm like drinking out of the bottle and I'm not a wine person so I was just like that's funny I had I had a a local frame person like a person that's framing frame it and they taped that to the back actually I'm looking at it right now Uh, and it was just like Emily stay away from wine Uh, I like wine but I definitely it's not beer a couple beers here and there that's fine but yeah it was uh that was a real but that was a really fun fun day and it was a huge honor uh Mm. they always have some really great beer people in there um I actually just got asked by their beer editor John Hall about who should be in it this year uh they don't do 40 under 40 anymore it's just a you know movers and shakers and mm-hmm. so I gave him a couple because there's some really great people in the beer industry right now who deserve recognition. So it was fun yeah. to be able to ask, you know, tell them like, hey, you should include this person that's had a really great list of beer people. Um, so yeah, it, it was an, a huge honor, huge honor. Excellent. Um, and another great honor as well, uh, a couple of years back, third place for best beer website at the North American Guild of Beer Writers Awards. Yeah, that was unexpected. That was that was huge. Made me really happy. Um, the North American Guild of Beer Writers are some of the best beer writers in, you know, in North America or the world. I mean, a lot of people from all over the world belong. So it's it mm. was really nice to be included with. Oh gosh, it was like Martin Cornell, myself, and uh, I don't remember the other person. Um, but it was someone like where I was like, oh wow, this is this is the big time. Um, and it was a huge honor. I was very excited. Yeah. Okay. I suppose it's at that point that you kind of think what, you know, all this, all this effort and um, love that I'm pouring into what I'm doing is paying off because people you know, are recognizing it for what it is. Exactly. It's been great. Uh, the emails I get from people all over the world. My favorite thing about Pines and Panels now is all the comments in many different languages. So someone okay. will tag a friend of theirs, and then they're writing in Polish or German or Spanish or Portuguese. <laughs> and I have to use Google Translate to make sure they're not making fun of me. <laughs> um, but they're normally like, oh, we should try this. Oh, this is a good idea. You know, it's always very positive. So mm. it's been really nice to have people from all over the world. That's what social media can be, you know, it definitely has a dark side and it isn't all great all the time. But it it brings people together and it's had a really great impact on pipes and panels. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and if people read Pellicle, they will also know your cartoon style because you are the, uh, I was to say the author, but I, what do you say for a cartoon? You are the, well, you're the, you're the cartoonist. You're the cartoonist. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're the cartoonist for adventures of Nelson and Goldie. So Matt, Matthew Curtis, who's the editor and founder of Pellicle, 
uh, he and I met at the Craft Brewers Conference in Denver. And he's like, I want you to draw something for me. It can be whatever you want. And I was like, what about cats? And he was like, you're speaking my language. Great. And so the first year it focused on brewery cats and they were just normal cats and in the brewery and, you know, one's lazy and one, it's kind of like an odd couple story. And Mm. then Matthew was like, let's, let's get weird with it, which I, and I was like, you got it. And now they talk. (laughs) Yeah. I I love the episode where it's like, just like, Hey, hang on a sec. Our cats talk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where have you been? And they can walk and they drink beer and one wears a tie and it's it's very silly and so for the past year now they've been Nelson and Goldie have been on a a mission to a lot of breweries mostly around England and Mm. Scotland um, to uh, people who um, usually are pellicle like Patreon sponsors or friends of the brewery or friends of the of pellicle brother and I will feature their cats so like uh, I was was gonna say are they real cats they're there are some, some are fake cats. Like the first one, New Barn, they just won. Uh, Johnny's one of the, the wine editor. He's a brewer at New Barns in Scotland. Yeah. And he was like, we don't have a cat, but make up one. Oh, okay. okay. And I was so like, okay, some sure. Some are, <laughs> most are real. Like Abbeydale is real. The duck chicken cider cat is real. Um, and I would email the brewers or cider makers or whatever. And I would say like, what's your cat like? and send me pictures. So I would try to capture their personality into when, yeah. So then, so that happened for about a year and we got to meet lots of different cats and they traveled all over and gave away best beast awards. There's a special, it's, I kind of based it off like a Harry Potter style. You know, there's these special cats who get special award. It was, it's very silly. And now there's a cat (laughs) jamboree. Yeah, I was like, how can we make it even weirder? And I'm like, cat jamboree. I'm looking forward to that because that's actually where it's left off. They're planning the jamboree. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing what happens in this me too, jamboree. Actually, me, t- me too. Because I... <laughs> Yeah. Aren't you, aren't you due the, the next one? Isn't it due this month? It is due. I'm working on it right now. Um, right. Okay. They're very, Matt is pretty, they're pretty lenient about last month that came out later than normal. And normally it would be out around now um, right. with the book coming out. And I was just in England last month. Uh, actually visiting Matt Curtis for a couple mm. of days. We went to Sheffield and Manchester and then I was in London and for a few days as well. And so, yeah, I'm, the Jamboree is going to be really exciting. I'm trying to, trying to figure out how, I'm, I'm, I don't know how we're going to end it. I think it, it's gotta, <laughs> it's gotta end soonish, which I haven't told Matt Curtis that. So if he mm. listens to this, he's going to find <laughs> out. Um, or it needs to, there needs to be a wrapping up. I want it to be like yeah. maybe 50 comics total. And then, yeah. So, and what would, but what would you do? Would you then go on to something different for Pellicle or would, would that be? I don't your... know. Um, I would have to talk to them about it. I really enjoy working with them monthly and it's fun to do stuff with them. Maybe we'll start a different story and we'll yeah. see where it goes. Well, maybe bre- yeah. brewery dogs. There's brewery dogs. Oh, it? that's dogs are harder to draw. Are they? Cats. Oh, okay. They're really, really. Well, hard. I can't draw at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> animal cats and dogs are really like when you, when I do commissions for people, because I also do those. Yeah. And people have me draw their pets. Um, I am scared because I've, <laughs> that's the only time I've actually had someone come back and be like, I don't know whose dog that is. Uh, was <laughs> very, or a couple of years ago, I drew someone's dog and they were like, that's not my dog. And it like, kind of threw me off. So I was like, oh no. But now when I do pet, pet, I have, I've done, I do a fair amount of pet ones and I'm always like, did I do okay? Because I want to make sure that 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you know, a pet, I have two cats. They're, you know, they're part of our family. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that people enjoy the commissions and that it looks like the animal and they're not just being polite. So. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, um, I mean, obviously in um, Nelson and Goldie, as you say, they started talking, uh, but also in your other pints and panels, um, illustrations, um, and of course, a lot in the book, which we'll, we'll come on to very shortly. Um, but there's a lot of, um, and I'm going to say this wrong, luckily I haven't actually opened a beer yet, anthropomorphized, and no, I did say it wrong, didn't I? No, anthropomorphizing, no. that's yes. a tough word to say, isn't it? Thank yeah. God I haven't had any beers yet. <laughs> there's a lot of that going on with, um, you know, obviously not just like the animal speaking, but also mm-hmm. um, hops and malt and, you know, sort of uh, dancing around or playing instruments and things like that. Um, and I think that is um, one of the uh, the charms of uh, of you know, obviously the book, but also Pines and Panels is uh, sort of seeing those things um, as characters, not just as ingredients for a, for a drink. You know, they're, they're seen as full of character. Yeah, the actually the Brewers Association, when I pitched them the book, they were very keen on the whimsy of it. They were like, the hops need to talk and sing. And I was like, you got it. <laughs> talking to the right person. Yeah, and so no. I ma- yeah, I made sure that the whimsy and the adorableness of the book was ratcheted up pretty high, um, more so than normal. Because I think that's, in my first book, there's actually a fair amount of talking animals. There's like a crab that everyone really liked. There's a horse. There's a bunch of different talking animals. So this is more, this was, more of like a, a straight guide to beer. So I wanted to be like, hey, let's explain isomerization where like the hop gets in a little like hot tub, aka <laughs> the, and then like th- things yeah. change. And why is that? Because the science of beer is quite confusing. Yeah. And there, there are a lot of right answers in beer. You know, there are multiple ways to make a style. You can brew with pale malt. You can brew with a little pale malt and dark malt. You can do roast malt. You can do, there's a lots of different ways to make certain styles, but in the end, they're all the same style. So how do we explain that to people without confusing them? And yeah. So the whimsy of it helps because it is, you know, it's not intimidating. It's cute, and that's beer. I'm, one of my the one of the pines and panels um, mottos is beer can be adorable because mm. it can be. I mean, yeah. there's there's nothing wrong with a cute hop in a hot tub. I just think that's that's funny. And no, fun. a, hop, a hop in a hot tub is great fun. Okay, so at the start of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about tasting, or like how to taste beer um, yes. in, a, in, a, in a way. So I've got a beer. Can I open oh. this up now? Okay. I've got uh, a Colonel Parallel. Oh, delicious. I went with, to the Colonel in London when I was oh, here last month, and it was very good. Absolutely fantastic, aren't they? Um, so, yeah, this is Simcoe, Cascade, and Huel Melon. So looking forward to this one i absolutely love this brewery um as i'm sure you do as well and they just don't seem to be able to do anything wrong i know that's the kiss of death now but um yeah then now you'll go and you'll be like oh, oh yeah. no i don't think i don't think that's accurate <laughs> i've committed one of the uh the cardinal sins of glassware uh-oh um, what did you do there's um it there's obviously it's a little dirty because there's oh, bubbles on okay. the side i do my damnedest to make sure that i clean them properly and sometimes you just can't help have just a little bit of uh, bubble sticking to the side. Sometimes it's soap. 
so you're cleaning it and you think you do a really good job and there's like a little residue left right that happens so you've actually cleaned it but the fattiness of the soap is clinging to the glass so, so it's the it's the rinsing that i haven't done properly then basically you've seen a good hot rinse <laughs> yeah good hot rinse and then dry it where there's there can be a lot of airflow yeah okay and then you're, and then you're good or if you have a dishwasher, I don't, I mean, that's also, Ooh. well. Yeah, I don't put my glasses in the dishwasher. I don't, I put certain glasses in the dishwasher, not ones that have branding. Yeah. So, like, yeah. so if you're saying uh, to check the, uh, the, the color of the beer, so hold it up. Um, what do you see? Is the beer hazy, clear? Does it have a good foam? So, yeah, I mean, I've got, uh, it's a little hazy. That would make and, sense. It's got great yeah. head retention, though. And it's got a good, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then do the drive-by. I love this. Uh, I love the the phrase drive-by. So you pass it under your nose quickly and take a sniff. That's oh, actually, I'm, yeah. The uh, the drive-by is not my. I did not come up with that. I have to give credit where credit is due. That is Dr. <laughs> Bill Simpson from Aroxa, which is a flavor standards company based in the UK, and he. That's his phrasing is the drive-by. Right. Okay. Oh, well, it's a good phrase. So I'm getting, yeah, I'm definitely getting tropical fruits in, in the melon there as well from the Huel melon. Um, and then give it a bit of a, a swirl and then a, a sip. Amazing. Yeah, they, they still haven't got anything wrong. That's really so juicy. So it's such a great mouthfeel as well. Okay. So... Got that in the glass. I'll uh, I'll enjoy that. But let's talk about the book then. So let's get more into into the book. So before we start talking about the contents of the book, and obviously I don't want to go into too much detail because at the end of the day, if people want to know the contents of the book, they should buy it, right? Um, but for people in the UK, uh, obviously, as you said, they can buy it on your website because you're shipping it out all over the place. But um, are there going to be outlets that it's going to be available in the UK? Yes, it's actually, I believe, on the boat now. So it'll be available in the UK starting in June. Um, I do not know where exactly. Once I do know, because uh, Lottie Peplo, who works for the Brewers Association, who's the like kind of the American craft beer ambassador in England, yeah. uh, she'll let me know where uh, where it is and then I'll make a note so people will know where to buy it. But it is available, yeah, it'll be available next month in shops and whatnot. Excellent, so. yeah, I just, I guess that everybody should check their local bookstores. Um, it's probably going to be available on a large website named after a Brazilian river. Yes. But obviously where possible, maybe people buy it from from small independent bookshops, but yeah, it'll probably be available from there too. Going on to uh, to the book, then it's easy to digest, isn't it? It's, it's there's a lot of information in there, and that's the thing I was saying earlier about how a lot of other books they still present a lot of information. But you're presenting a lot of information, but in such easy bite-sized kind of chunks to digest. Uh, yeah, again with the anthropomorphized. <laughs> anthropomorphizing. I know what you're trying. You, you, you got it. Again, with that, um, I loved the uh, the four main ingredients of beer. We're in the what is beer section. Uh, they're represented as a band. Um, and I love that. Obviously, you know, I don't think you mentioned them as the Fab Four. I you know the Beatles or something, but I just had that in my head that they are the Fab Four. Um, you know, they're playing instruments. And obviously the analogy is that they've got to be kind of gelling together like a band does. Um, you know, it, they all 
contribute something to uh, a great beer. Obviously, you've got sections on malt, hops, uh, and yeast, of course, as well. But it's very interesting about the water because I often think water is massively unsung uh, ingredient. Yeah, because, I mean, historically, water, chem water chemistry as we know it now didn't really come about until the late 19th century. So if you lived in Munich, for example, they have really hard water, so they couldn't brew blonde like a Hellas. That beer was impossible to brew until they realized in the like mid to late 19th century, oh, if we boil our water, we can, that will, the temporary hardness will precipitate out and then we can use the water that we have or adjust it as need be to brew these beers that are really popular. And so that's a really interesting fact about how historically beer was basically changed. Like the reason people brewed the way that they did was what they could brew. They were, they were in like inhibited by the water that they had because it was what they had. And then in the late, the science of beer becomes really cool in the like mid to late 19th century with yeast strains and water mm. chemistry and water is really confusing. I myself, my, I, I always struggle with water chemistry because I'm not great at science, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a really fun, like it's really, you know, it, people need to realize that the crispness of beer, the mouthfeel of beer, the flavor of beer can be, um, can be from the water. You know, it's just as important uh, as the other ingredients. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely is. Um, but obviously, you know, that you, you cover the, uh, the other ingredients such as the malts and the yeast and hops as well. Um, I, I, there was a, a section that made me smile as well because you mentioned about hop picking. Of course, now it's all done by machinery, but how it used to be a family affair and workers would come from the city uh, you know, to earn more money. Um, and this is exactly what my mum did um, uh, when she was young. They always used to go out to to Kent uh, during the harvest season and pick up, the, you know, pick the East Kent Goldings and Fuggles. Um, so uh, yeah, I I did have a little smile on that because <clears throat> she always nice. talks she always talks with fondness about it. I don't think she likes beer at all. <laughs> it just doesn't tend to drink it, but she does um, always remember about going out and um, doing the hot picking. You move on to off flavors. Um, and how to detect them. And this is something that I'm really, really interested in. I learned a lot from um, that, from your book on this, because I, I mean, obviously I, I can sometimes taste something and think that's not quite right, but I do struggle to put my finger on the exact issue um, with the beer. Um, and there's quite a lot of, um, of different ways that, that, that a beer can be, uh, can be off. But I mean, obviously you're also mentioning that there are some, off flavors which are acceptable in in lower levels in certain styles um but when it comes to others um, i mean you've got obviously like a dms um the taste is uh you know the creamed corn cabbage tomato juice and dark beers i'm very happy not to have actually tasted a dark beer that tastes <laughs> like tomato juice before because not sure i'd like that but i have um, it's gross not great. Oh, it does sound like it. it does sound like it um then uh acetaldehyde diacetyl oxidation all those kind of ones but as you say that, that that can be accepted uh but then there's a few um which uh your little character at the bottom said just says no instead of you know is acceptable in it's just no and there's some of these flavors um again i'm glad i've not had any of these so far uh autolysis you get 
rubber soy sauce. It's meaty. It uh, is, yeah. If you ever have a really <laughs> old imperial stout, so if you ever want to try it, take an imperial stout and age it for like five, six, seven years, and then try it. Um, you'll get that like that soy, very heavy soy, almost like a yeah. It's it's uh, not great. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, um, and then isovaleric acid, Parmesan cheese, sweaty socks, and body odor. Okay. There, there is a school of thought uh, that lambics are allowed low levels of isovaleric acid. Um, I don't agree with that, but I want to make sure people know that because if someone listens to this and they believe that um, there are schools of thought that that say that it's allowed in lambics, but I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, um, there's one that I've heard um, a few people say uh, when they sort of uh, they're talking about how it didn't taste good at all. And they use wet dog. And I think it's maybe for an aroma more than the taste, obviously, because who knows what a wet dog tastes like. Um, but where, where would that come in with the wet dog? What would you think that would be? Wet dog could be, um, there's a off flavor called trichloroanisol, which has kind of a basementy, it's a cork taint. It happens in wine a lot. So if you're using a corked beer, let's say, and you leave it on its side, if you, uh, in, bur- in the beer world, you should never store a cork beer on its side. It could mm. get cork taint. You get this wet dog. Could be oxidation as well. Uh, there's also an off flavor, uh, mercaptan, which is like an infection that comes with like an open drain. Um, yeah, or like <laughs> a rotting fruit. Uh, oh. There's some really gross off flavors. Yeah. That when you do off flavor training for like Cicerone study or PJCP or anything like that or mm. sensory, uh, it's a uh, it's not great. <laughs> No, no, I bet. But I suppose you've got to learn somehow. But uh, yeah, one of those things that you're, you're happy to put in the in the past. Uh, OK. Um, and then, of course, you do come on uh, to talking about beer and food. In terms of food pairings, what are your favorites? Um, I really like tacos with like a New England IPA because you get that. Actually, I had tacos in a New England IPA last night for dinner. Um, especially with those new world hops that are really pineapple-y or really fruity adds a nice comp like contrast of like salty sweet. I like anything salty sweet. Mm. So uh, I really also like when I think of like red meat, like steak and a triple is really good because you got that salty fatty, fatty steak and you've got that clove and banana fruit, white pepper, really highly carbonated too, cleans your mouth, that mouth napkin. I think I mentioned that in the book. Those are those are kind of my two. And then I actually really like New England IPAs and chocolate chip cookies because they taste together. They create a new flavor. They taste like uh, one of those those chocolate oranges you get around Christmas time. Oh, yeah. So that that those two flavors together turn into a really good um, like, you know, they they mingle and it's a really nice flavor sensation. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, one of the main things that, that you say in the book is never overpower uh the flavor if the if the the food is a, a subtle uh flavor a light flavor um then never go for you know the, as you say those big beers like the triple or or imperial sours yeah you don't yeah. want to overwhelm the, the beer you want to make sure that you know match intensities is a really great um that's just something to live by so if you're like oh i'm eating a salad you know, think about the lightness of the salad and then go from there. And what's a light beer? And then you can kind of, and if, try it. If it doesn't work, then try another beer. You know, that's the best part about beer and food pairings is the experimentation. 
Yeah. Okay. And then there's a, a big section where you do a nice deep dive into beer styles. Although you actually mentioned that, uh, you know, not every beer style can, can make it into the book, I guess there's still so many and they're so nuanced as well. These days, there's so many kind of sub styles and sub sub styles of, uh, of, of the beers, but you do quite a, a, a big, a big roundup of, of, I guess the, the more common and uh, widespread styles. What would you say your favorite ones are? Um, I love dark lagers. Oh yeah. So Munich, Munich Dunkel, Czech dark lagers, Schwartz beers. Schwartz beers don't get the love they deserve. Um, Munich Dunkel was definitely my. Anytime I see a Munich Dunkel, I have to order it. Uh, yeah. It's not a beer that style that's made a lot, but I really love. Uh, when I lived in Vermont, we lived near Harpoon, which is a large regional brand in New England. Mm. And they make a Munich Dunkel uh, that used to distribute it. Now it's just at the brewery called Harpoon Dark. And it's so good. Um, man, I wish they distributed that beer. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, mm. I'm yeah, I'm usually, usually keen on dark lagers. I do love New England IPAs because I'm from New England. So I'm a little bit of a sucker for them because, mm. you know, they're from my area. Exactly. And yeah. when they're done really well, they're really good. I like the lesser bitterness. I like the flavor that they impart. Um, and then I really love, I mean, I love all beer. It's, I mean, don't make me choose, Paul, you know? I mean, uh, no, no, you don't have to choose. You can say everything. That's fine. But I mean, is there anything that you, that you'd shy away from? I'll go for any beer. Um, I love, I used to not like smoked beers, but now mm. I, I now I really love smoked beers. I think that's kind of I always say it's the final frontier for beer people. So like, yeah. you know, you have Schlankerlo the first time you're like, what am I? What is this? Yeah. And then the more and more you have it and the more you have smoked beers, the more you're like, oh, I, oh, oh, I like this. This is good. Yeah, no, I, I quite agree. I love, um, as you say, the Schlankerlo as well, the Rauch beer. I just absolutely love that. And I remember, actually, I went. Uh, with a friend, we went out uh, in London for uh, for drinks, and we went to the Rake in Borough Market, um, and sort of had a few there. Mm -hmm. And round the corner from there, I'm not sure if it's still there actually. Um, I was there only about a few months ago, and I didn't see it. But there used to be like a a German beer hall uh, in the in the cellar of mm. this just along the road from uh, from Borough Market, and we went into there, and they had uh, the Schlenkeler on draft, and I was like, wow, oh I wow. Got I, I'd never seen it on draft before, and thought I oh, got to have this. And my friend likes beer as well, but not not as much as me. So I don't think he he, he certainly not never had it. And uh, we got a couple of halves. I thought I did. I said no, we're not we're not going to go for a pint. It's we've had a lot anyway already. So a pint of that on top of what we'd had was would be too much. But I described it, and perhaps actually I don't know the wrong way to describe it was I was saying oh it's just like liquid bacon. And of course, that doesn't sound too appetizing, but I mean, it's amazing and it does taste, you know, it does taste very smoky, very hammy, very bacon. But when you're explaining it to somebody, uh, saying it's like liquid bacon, probably not the best use of words. Yeah, uh, I mean, but everyone loves bacon. Mm. Yeah, true. For the true. most part. For the most part, but for, the, so, for the most part, yeah. Um, you seem to have a love for um, lambics and uh, and those styles. Given what I've read in the books and pints and panels, I can't quite get on with them. To be honest, I must I must admit. 
I know that I'm, I'll be a pariah okay. amongst a lot of people for that, but I just can't get no. on with, with lambics. No, I mean, you like what you like and you drink what you want and what you like. And that's, yeah. there's nothing, as long as you're not deriding them because you don't like them or, you know, you got to get out of your comfort zone a little bit, but that's, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, sours are, especially lambics. It's, there's a lot, the, the complexity of it is intense. So, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the beery destinations that you've enjoyed traveling to most. Uh, we, uh, my husband and I go to Belgium frequently. I love Belgium. Mm. Uh, the beer scene there is just, you know, it's otherworldly. It's so unique and ingrained in their culture. Uh, I did really enjoy London and Manchester and Sheffield. I thought that was great. The thing about beer travel now is anywhere you go, there's going to be good beer. So, and there's, and there's different beer, especially in America, the regionalization of beer. So mm. I was just in Minneapolis and, you know, uh, every tap I didn't recognize for the most part um, with new beer. And so there's always something new to try. So when you travel, even like I'll go to, I live two hours from Boston, between two hours from Boston and two hours from New York City. So I'll go two hours to a different city in a different state. And because of the distribution laws in America, you know, I'm get, I'm get a whole new sort of beers. And so it's always really exciting and interesting to see uh, when you go even, you know, a short drive away and yeah. short drive in America terms, that is. So. Yeah, exactly. Your short drives are like halfway across the country for us, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Um, okay, well, again, I, I really, really uh, loved the book. Um, th there was a word that I wasn't quite um, coming up with uh, to describe it, uh, but you uh, said it yourself earlier on, and that's the whimsy. It was the word that I was kind of looking for. And it is, it's great, it's whimsical, um, but, you know, it's, it's also educational. And of course, that's, I know what you're, what you're aiming for. Um, so I learned a, a, a decent amount from reading it. It's a great book. And anybody listening uh, that has got a, a beer book library um, and, you know, you've, you've got to add this to, to the library. It's a, it's a great book. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I have a question for you that has been posed by the last guest that I had on the podcast. That was Matt and Ian from Leon Sea Brewery in Essex. How much does a consumer buy with their eyes from a branding point of view and how important is that? Oh, I think branding makes a huge difference. Um, I find a lot, I like, I'm, I'm a little bit of stickler for consistency. So when mm. a brand stays on, a lot of brands in America, at least beer people, like beer brands, will kind of go all over the place. And then you go out and there are beers on the shelf and you're like, who did that? I don't know whose beer that is. And so you kind of, you're going for, I, I don't know. I, I, I really, I enjoy consistency in a brand's branding. And I think that we, but we do, if I wasn't like, you know, a, a normal beer drinker and I was just perusing the giant shelves and mm. I saw art that really spoke to me, I, I was in France for a wedding with my roommate from college and we were in a like a wine shop buying a bottle of wine for a dinner and my roommate just said to me I only buy wine with animals on the label 
So this one has an animal on a label. I don't know how much it was. And it was a Euro and it was excellent. And so she's just like, that's what I, that's how she goes by what she shops. And so I think now the beer industry is doing that as well, where you walk in and you're, you know, you're a casual beer drinker. You're not a beer geek and you, yeah, you shop with your eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I think breweries that kind of go all over the place lose the ability to get repeat customers because if this can is, you know, has a different design on it and doesn't say who it is. And then the next can they come out with is completely different and the branding's on the back. Are they going to get the repeat business? Yeah. And so I think brand consistent branding is very important to build brand loyalty. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you actually. There's something to be said for interesting art, but what I really like when breweries do, if they're going to change up their art is making sure that on the can or bottle, they have the same call out. So that's always in every branding. And then you can use the canvas of the, of the beer label to do whatever you want. So as long mm-hmm. as there's some kind of note that's like, oh, that's so-and-so's. So a local brewery in my town does that, uh, Alvarium. They have a, just a kind of a strip at the bottom that says, you know, what it is, the name, and then they kind of use the top of the can. Uh, and they brew all sorts of different styles. But you know their art because you know the bottom and you can see who made it yeah. and it goes a long way when you know when you've got brain loyalty and you go oh i know when i buy this x beer it's going to be good mm. um and then you will tell other people about it and you go oh my local brewery is great and then they'll buy it and then it's kind of a snowball effect so branding mm. can branding helps a lot um yeah. if it's consistent and easy to understand and a lot of breweries do not do that <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, have you ever been approached to do can art? I've done a few. Um, I did uh, a Munich Dunkel. They let me choose. They were like, we want you to do a can. We'll brew whatever you want. And I'm like, wow. we're going to brew. Yeah, we're going to brew a <laughs> Munich Dunkel. Um, it was a brewery in Spokane, Washington called Whistlepunk. Uh, I did a label for Relic Brewing, which is in Plainville, Connecticut, a long, long time ago, maybe almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was the first and only one I had done for a while. Um, and then I did a label for a triple IPA for um, Young Lions Brewing. They're in upstate New York. Uh, it was a collaboration with another brewery called K2. And so they wanted, uh, and you know, it's up to the, you're being commissioned. So a lot of like Whistlepunk was like, draw whatever you want. And then mm-hmm. Uh, Young Lions was like, no, we want to do kind of a Christmas story where the kid's got his mouth stuck to the flagpole. And <laughs> I was like, that's what you want. That's what you want. So it was really fun to draw. And then I just did a label for Hello Friend, which is the clean beer side of the Rare Barrel, which is a very good sour brewery in Berkeley, California. Mm. And they also were like, we like your work, draw whatever you want. And I said, I'm going to draw cats. And they said, <laughs> Fine. So I drew this kind of like mosaic rainbow pattern of like cats in different positions. And it ended up being their Friday. It was a Friday's cat, which was their killer. They, the way that Hello Friend works is they hire artists to create art for them. So it's kind of, you know, oh no, that's not consistent. And then they have branding on the side that you can see that says Hello Friend. So you know, it's theirs. So their Mm. art changes constantly. Mm. Um, And then they commission the art and then they decide oh what we're brewing oh we'll use that art and then we'll name it so it matches the art so right it's pretty unique okay. 
Yeah. So, and they sent Excellent. me their, yeah, they sent me their Keller bills. They also did a collaboration with Bow and Arrow Brewing in New Mexico. They sent me that IPA. And that was my first cold IPA. Has have, uh, cold IPAs reached the UK yet? They have, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge like a, fan. I love them. I'm a huge fan of cold IPAs. Yeah, it's like a sort of lager IPA hybrid, isn't it? Yep. They're really, really good. So it was my first cold IPA, and I was like, oh, I hope this isn't my last. It was yeah. excellent. So. Mm. Uh, okay, fantastic. Um, now, can I ask you to set a question for my next guest, please? Sure. Oh, boy. Um, oh, no, I've got a question. So when uh, the question would be, when did beer heighten an experience for you? So when did beer make the thing you were doing better? Oh, great. Excellent. That's a really good question. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, you're very welcome. Excellent. Okay, Em, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you for sparing the time all the way over there in Connecticut. Thank you so much for that. Um, and yeah, I just want to say again to everybody, uh, I'd heartily recommend the book. It's great fun. Uh, you learn a lot too. And it's also great as a reference, you know, that section with beer styles, um, you know, you don't just read through it. I can imagine sort of grabbing the book off the shelf and going to those pages um, when I've got certain styles of, of beer that, that you list in there. So it's a, uh, it's a great book and go and go out and find it. And also go onto pints and panels, have a look at all the stuff there. Um, you know, lots of stuff to buy. And as you said um, yourself um, earlier, commissions too. So if you've got something um, that uh, you want M to draw for you, she'll do it. I will. That's true. Em, <laughs> thanks again so much. Thank you for having me. A fascinating conversation there. And thanks to M for taking the time out of her day to speak with me and, of course, for providing me with an advanced copy of the book. I think it's the way that all beer books should be written in future. So if you're listening, Matt Curtis... Adrian Tooney Jones, Pete Brown, and all, you'd better start practicing your drawing skills. Okay, now it's time to speak to someone a lot closer to home. It's Bedlam Brewery's head brewer, Clark Coslett Hughes. Hello, Clark. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you, Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. We're going to talk about the brewery and uh, obviously your role there as well, and a lot of beers. I've had a bit of a, a bit of a hard day at work, so I'm going to crack open the first beer, which <laughs> you uh, got the right you got the right medicine. <laughs> I have absolutely. Um, so I'm going to crack open the pilsner. Uh, so 4.2 percent pilsner, and uh, I do love a good pilsner. So uh, looking forward to this one. It's a great day for that pilsner as well. It's nice and sunny. Well, it started off a bit miserable today. I don't know about you, but uh, yeah, we had a bit of rain, but it's definitely pilsner weather now. Yes, yeah, same here, actually. It was a bit dull up until about maybe three or four o'clock, but uh, all good now. Okay, so whilst I'm uh, pouring this and having a few sips, Clark, can you tell me what you do at the brewery? Yeah, um, I'm head brewer at Bedlam Brewery. I've been head brewer there for uh, around four or five months now. I joined Bedlam about 11 months ago. I think it's coming up to my one-year anniversary with them. Nice. Um, yeah, and I, I joined them as a brewer. I was looking to get into production brewing. I've been a home brewer for years. Um, you know, I've always been very passionate about craft beer, drinking beer. And uh, yeah, um, lockdown obviously helped with the hobby of making uh, home brewing. And yeah, I wanted to get serious. Dreams are to maybe start my own place one day. So I got into production brewing at Bedlam and yeah, things have gone great since. Fantastic. Excellent. 
Oh, well, congratulations on nearly a year. Uh, <laughs> Thank okay. you very much. No worries. Uh, so can, can you tell me a little bit of the background? What's the story behind the, the brewery? Yeah, of course. Um, so um, Bedlam is about 10 years old, um, although it got serious about four years ago. Uh, so 10 years ago, a bunch of mates just got together and uh, just basically wanted to start making a bit of beer with each other. They wanted to get couple of casks of beer for special occasions, weddings, Christmases, uh, and they just so happened to have a vineyard at the same time, or at least one of their friends did. Um, so whilst their brand new vineyard was trying to grow grapes, they thought we might as well make beer in the meantime. Um, and then, yeah, people started liking the beers. They had three or four beers. Other people started enjoying them. They started selling their beers. So about four years ago, and an investor came in and decided to take it seriously. Um, you know, he took uh, control of the wheel and yeah, got things to, uh, well, where they are today in terms of production volumes and uh, sales, you know, really putting a reach out there. You know, obviously that's not all down to one person, but he got the wheels in motion to get that going. Yeah, and um, yeah, we've just had record-breaking months in terms of sales, which is great, you know, coming out of lockdown. We're glad to see that, you know, things are picked up again. Uh, not just with general sales and, you know, direct to consumer, but sales like cask beers we see like going up. So we know that the pubs are, are still doing well because, you know, good quality cask. Oh, I'm jealous now. Yeah, just that was a very yeah. good sip of beer there. <laughs> I'm very jealous. I, I, had to, I had to really dive in. It's, uh, yeah, so it's very good. <laughs> Yeah, so um, yeah, th things yeah. things have uh, got back to normal uh, in terms of uh, production, and yeah, Bedlam's going full steam ahead, growing, growing, and yeah, we've had some lovely shiny new SSV kit in to help with that, and yeah, things are great. It's busy. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned about sort of up to capacity um, just now. What what is the brewery's capacity? Um, so we have uh, a thirty five hectolitre brew kit, and we have. 10 fermentation vessels. Uh, four of those fermentation vessels are about 70 hectolitres, and then the other six are between 30 to 40 hectolitres. Um, yeah, so plenty of plenty of beer, not just in tag, but uh, in keg and cask as well. So, yeah, lots of beer going on. But, uh, what, yeah, one of Super. our biggest sellers, 30% of our output, is that Pilsner you're drinking right there. Mm. Yeah, and it's a very good one as well. I, I saw recently um, on Twitter that uh, you guys were at Brew London and that a Czech brewer uh, came along and said that he'd been tasting all the Pilsners at Brew London and that yours was the best. Yeah, do you know, and that, that was not only like a, just a great compliment to hear anyway from anyone, um, but from a fellow who says, you know, he's from the land of Pilsner, he knows what he's talking about, he's a brewer himself. Yeah, so it was a great compliment to you. You know, we're, we're really proud of old Pilsner we're confident in it but to, just to hear that every now and again is uh yeah it's a nice little boost for the uh the beer beer ego the beer goal yeah 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 i don't doubt it and yeah you can can get all these uh Ciba gold awards and uh you know other, other awards um which i know that you do as well but you know yeah. having having that kind of great feedback as you say from somebody who not only comes from that land but brews beer there too knows yeah, what they're exactly. talking about <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a nice little recognition and you know, we, we know we're doing the the right thing then when it comes to that beer um also in brew london we, we were uh, showcasing our smash uh, single malt single hop we were showcasing uh mosaic with um crisp clear choice malt and just getting feedback off that as well you know it's a really simple beer to brew you know you've just got the one malt and the one hop but 
I, I think is a sign of a good brewery that can push out one of those beers if it tastes good. It's easy to get fancy, and you know, I really like my fancier beers. Um, but if you can do it's the pizza analogy, it is for me. I go to a pizzeria and I order a margarita. If the margarita is good, you know, everything above that is going to be good. So, yeah, I was smashed it very well, though. Excellent. Well, that's a good analogy, actually. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. You can, you can take that if you want. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you can handle the simple things um, and make the simple taste fantastic, then uh, exactly. then that's a good sign. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. I like that. Um, but, I mean, you guys are very eco-friendly at the brewery. Yeah. Uh, we've got solar panels up on top of the brewery. Um, since we've moved, uh, since we've had the new kit in, uh, it's a lot more efficient on electricity usage because, uh, you know, the kettle's not heated up by electric, it's steam powered. So the electric used in total in, in uh, brewery is now a lot more, um, it's pulled a lot more from the solar energy panels uh, on top of the brewery. You can't miss them as, as you turn up onto our little farm estate that they're, they're just shining on the top of the roof. And days, I guess, is really great <laughs> to see because you can almost feel them, uh, the, the, the uh, PV cells generating energy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, something that is not exclusive to Bedlam, you know, we like to give our brewers grains off to the cattle for feed. Um, we're on a farm, so it's a, it's a nice little, you know, closed so circle. It's not being transported away anywhere. So, yeah, the carbon footprint on our grains then is obviously minimised because it's not going into waste or anything. It's going straight into the cows. Yeah. Excellent. OK. Uh, looking around uh, for your website on your website, I don't think you've got a tap room, have you? Um, no. We, so we don't have a built tap room yet although we do have a little unit we've just put in place over the last couple of weeks that we're opening up just to be a little you know summer bar on the side um, we're gonna we're gonna take it for a test run tomorrow so me and the, oh, really? and the rest of the staff are gonna yeah we're gonna see if the taps work and uh, you know we might, <laughs> it, it's a horrible job but we're gonna have I, to try yeah to I, I, w- going I was going to say i feel for you so much quality control quality assurance every one of them has to be tested yeah indeed exactly. indeed <laughs> Uh, okay, well, that's good. So, you know, in, in future then, people, as you say, maybe sort of like in the summer months, but people might be able to come down to the farm and uh, actually drink from source. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we've got a shop there anyway. You know, we've converted one of the units for storage and it is where all of our e-commerce uh, leaves from and our uh, couriers and deliveries come from. But it's also a place where people, they stop by, you know, we have a lot of ramblers uh, passing through and cyclists and, yeah, they, they'll, you know, they pick up a case or two on the way. Um, yeah, people in the local area are aware we're there. And, yeah, we do hear it a lot. It's like, oh, when, you know, when's the, when's the tap room coming up? So now and again, we can just pop up a mobile tap room for people to have a pint, run a couple yeah. of events in the brewery as well. Mm. Excellent. But I mean, obviously, if people want to want to drink more frequently, uh, they just have to go to the Brighton Dome because you guys are the brewery bar partner for Brighton Dome and Brighton Festival. That's pretty impressive. What a lovely segue. And you're doing a better job than me at promoting the, <laughs> the, uh, the brewery. But yes, yeah, we were, uh, we were given uh, yeah, the, the uh, great opportunity to provide our Pilsner, which you're, you're drinking, uh, mm-hmm. as, a well, uh, a well, as well as other um, products that you know, sell. Our American Pale Ale, our Phoenix, which won uh, gold medal on the National Zebra Awards for our, uh, sorry, for their uh, session in keg. Uh, that one gold this year, and our wild as well, our East Coast uh, mango pale ale. But yes, we they have their uh, lovely tanks there in the dorm, full of our uh, gluten-free pills. Now I'm pretty sure I can say that it's gluten-free. Now we, um, you might be uh, the first one to know about that, but yeah, we've got all the tests and the certificates all checked, right. and yeah, all the uh, T's crossed and the the lower J's dotted. So 
Fantastic. Um, oh, that's yeah, good. That, that's good that's, news. Uh, for... Flowing out of the dome. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of gluten-free alternatives for some foods, for example, that really don't taste good. I, one of my friends, um, his daughter is gluten intolerant. And he was saying that, you know, they've taken ages to find a bread and a pizza dough and things like that that are passable. But yeah. the good thing is that, you know, I've drunk so many gluten-free beers because a lot of people like yourself are, you know, making their beers gluten-free anyway, rather than having a gluten-free version. And you can't tell the difference. And so that's great because, you know, it doesn't put anybody else off who doesn't have an issue with gluten. Um, but it's helping all those with gluten intolerance to be able to just confidently come and and uh, and then drink the beer without uh, also without sort of having to compromise on the flavor of it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's just more accessible, of course. And I, I do think sometimes saying gluten free can be off put in, like you said, with breads and pastas. If I saw, if I see the word gluten free, I accidentally bought some gluten free pitas the other day. I had to force <laughs> myself to eat some sandwiches. Yeah. But when it comes to beer, it's completely different because, you know, the gluten uh, when it comes to beer isn't doing the same job as it does in pastas in breads. Um, yeah. And it's obviously definitely more accessible. And it we didn't deliberately go out to make the pilsner gluten-free it turned out that it was just essentially a bob ross happy accident part of our brewing process um, removes the gluten and it helps clear the beer up and it removes the gluten enough to levels below that uh, the celiac society recognized as being gluten-free so yeah it was a happy accident uh it turns out our pilsner has always been gluten-free it's only now we're shouting about it right okay now that you're certain that's good <laughs> Yeah. Okay, fantastic. We were talking about where you are located and, of course, the, um, the, the Brighton Dome tie-up, which is great. Um, and you're in an area with so many other really, really good craft breweries around you. I mean, you know, you've got 360 Degree Brewing in Sheffield Park, not far from you. Obviously, you've got Lewis with Harvey's Beak and Abyss, uh, Burning Sky and Furl, and you know, not to mention all of those that are in Brighton. Holding your weight amongst all those great breweries as well must be must be a, a good feeling yeah i'm well, spoiled for choice as a consumer down down in uh, brighton and southeast like you said you, you named like, some of my favorite breweries there uh, and and like you said in brighton as well you've got loud shirt brighton beer lost pier unbarred um I'm such a brewer that I'm actually getting married at uh, Unbad. My wedding breakfast is going to be at Unbad. So really? that's what happens when you get a brewer to organise his own wedding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to a, a couple of pints of Stoutzilla at, uh, at the wedding breakfast. Uh, yeah, it is a community. And, you know, some of us are fighting over the same tap, the same pump space at bars. But I think across most of the breweries there's a certain identity or at least a certain beer style that pops out to make them stand out against the rest and yeah in and it's it's great just to be around that just um you know for inspiration's sakes anyway you know with if we were the only uh, brewery in sussex yeah we'd be doing very well business-wise but i think when it when it came to creativity that drops out then because you're not uh, up against the, the you know the noisy neighbors who are creating better beer than you yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Okay, so um, I'm going to crack open the Ota space now. And I've uh, read some really great things about this one. Um, obviously, being called Ota space, there's oats in. Um, so tell me, tell me about this beer. Yeah, um, you know, something very drinkable, 3.4%. Um, we went 
uh, with the idea of creating a New England, but something that didn't have the strength of a New England. So, uh, you know, a lot more towards the table beer side of it. It still packs a lovely, big, big uh, flavor punch, as I'm sure you'll uh, see, see in a couple of seconds. It smells great, looks great. Um, yeah, so 50% um, of the green bill is oats. It's packed full of oats. It's very creamy. Mouth feels gorgeous. Big dry hop of citra to get that lovely citrus burst uh, in the mouth. Um, it's, I think it, no, it's my second favorite seasonal beer we've done this year. My first favorite's still got to be the Smash. Um, but yeah, the auto space is great. Um, we've got it in keg and in 440 can, and there's not going to be much left of it soon. Yeah, um, you're right. It's got just a gorgeous smell. And yeah, I, I mean, ABV wise, 3.4%. And I guess it's the oats that's really sort of giving it the body. Exactly. Mm. Wow. Yeah. You, I, I would never peg that at three, three point four percent. To be, to be fair, that's that's really good. Okay. Um. So I'll uh, delve into this one and carry on this one. But I mean, what what kind <laughs> what kind of beers inspired you to get into brewing? Uh, great question. So I'm uh, I'm from a little village in South Wales. Uh, called Vellingvall. Uh, it makes part of the greater metropolis known as Llanelli, which is the largest town in uh, in Wales. But yeah, in Vellingvall, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the brewery, Vellingvall Brewery, but it's, the whole village is essentially built around the brewery. Mm. Uh, and yeah, every day in school, I would I would just smell this gorgeous breakfasty smell. I'm like, what what is it? And then I figured out that it was a brewery, but I couldn't. Why does it smell like that? Beer doesn't smell like that. What is it? And yeah, I, I was in trance from a very young age. I wasn't an alcoholic from a very young age. I was just in trance, but <laughs> yeah. the smell, if, you know, it filled the village. <laughs> and um, yeah, when I was old enough to drink, uh, Your Honour, I had um, a <laughs> pint of Double Dragon, which is the, the Vellinvol uh, Brewery's flagship beer. It's a Welsh red ale. Um, it's absolutely stunning beer that just instantly reminds me of home every time I drink it. There's nothing flashy going on with it. It's just a lovely traditional Welsh red ale. A uh, tiny rebel of helped bring that to the forefront uh, over the last couple of years with their Kutch beer. It's a delicious Welsh red. Um, yeah, and um, that sort of made me realise there's more to beer than just Carlin. Um, but mm. I thought it, it was just a Welsh thing. I just thought, you know, Vellinvall makes a good red ale. Um, I used to be a touring musician. And when I was in uh, Perth in Australia, a friend took us to Little Creatures Brewery and... Um, I, I tried the Little Creatures Pale Ale and it absolutely blew my mind. I was like, how can beer taste like this? There's, there's no way beer should taste like this. It, it should taste like batteries and acid because it's all I, I used to drink was, you know, Calin. Um, yeah, and it was absolutely delicious and it, it blew, blew the doors open for me and I started discovering other beers and, and then I wanted to make those beers. I wanted to have my own spin on those beers and that's where I started homebrew and I, I did a lot of the, you know, the clone recipes and, you know, I, I would buy the, you know, the whole ingredients that made a punk IPA, for example, and I would make a punk or uh, a Pliny the Elder and, yeah, and then I started creating my own versions of those and, yeah, and then here we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did did you try the red owls? Yes, yeah. I I've, I had a very delicious red rye uh, IPA that I made. I, I tried to make um, a fusion between uh, an IPA and um, the Double Dragon Welsh Red, but uh, I think if I took it home to give to the locals sat in Vellingvall bars, they probably <laughs> wouldn't recognise it being anywhere near. <laughs> That's the problem, I guess, when you've got such a such a great beer that uh, you know, that transcends the, the the community and everybody 
you know, it's the beer that everybody drinks. Breaking yeah. them into something else is, is quite difficult. Okay. I hear there's a really good story about where the name for the brewery comes from. Right. Now, now you've got me on my toes because uh, I, I might have had to blag this a couple of times, but I'm pretty sure I've got it right now. Okay. Um, so the original, uh, the original place of uh, Bedlam Brewery was on uh, Bedlam Road, which is where, the, uh, where Bethlehem Asylum was originally placed, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah, so they named it, named it Bedlam after the asylum. And yes, it's, the name pretty much describes a working day at the brewery there's always something going on there's always something that wants to go wrong and uh yeah every day is uh it's a different day and it's never boring there it's great <laughs> excellent excellent i'm really enjoying by the way this outer space it's going down so well literally i am on the last little bit of this outer space while you've been talking it's so it's so drinkable it's and, very very drinkable yeah and i think if you've got somebody producing beers that you literally don't spend much, the glass doesn't spend much time on the table. It's in your hand, up to your, up to your mouth, and it, not even going back because you want to take another sip. That drinkability is definitely the sign uh, of a good brewer. So hats off to, I'm not wearing a hat, but hats off <laughs> to you. This is it's a, a really good beer. I've got to say that um, if I go to, to bars and tap rooms, I look along what they've got. My eyes tend to wander past the lower ABV beers. Um, so I tend to sort of look towards where something is five, five and a half, six upwards. You know, that's, that was the idea behind this beer. It was it's supposed to be like a big, you know, six and a half percent New England is supposed to, you know, give all that punch, the hot punch, the aroma, the juiciness. But it's supposed to be you can drink pints of it all night and, and enjoy it. Whereas, like you said, you, you, I do, I'm the exact same. I, I will look at a, at a bar menu and go, oh, yes, New, New England IPA 7%. I'll have a pint of that, please. And I'll have two of them and my night is more or less done. Whereas <laughs> that, it, it's, you get the same bang for your buck out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, you know, you can have several more of them. So, you know, you feel better all round, to be honest. Fantastic. Okay. I know that we're going to come on to um, the third beer I'm going to have is um, a very, very interesting beer. So we'll talk about that before I open it, actually. But um, it's called Kelp. But I love it, actually. It's called Kelp with an exclamation mark. Obviously, I guess a play on the Beatles help. It was definitely that. I think um, when I've made the pilot brew for it, that's... So it's only ever had two iterations, that beer, the pilot brew and then the beer you drink there. Um, yeah, we couldn't stop singing help by the Beatles, but replacing the word help for kelp, obviously. So it was the obvious choice for, for, the, uh, yeah. for the name. But I mean, underneath the, the, on the can, underneath the word kelp, you've uh, got the hashtag help our kelp porter. So tell me, um, because I don't think I've ever had a, a, a kelp beer before. I'm pretty sure of that. So tell me about this one. I mean, tell me about the kelp and what it does, but also what the help our kelp campaign is all about. So the exclamation mark, obviously, as you picked up, is a play on help by the Beatles. So that's what we wanted to draw on because it, it is the, the asking for help part. So um, the Sussex uh, Kelp Reforestation uh, Charity um, is something that's close to our hearts and, you know, literally close to us geographically as well. You know, we want to um, help them out with reforesting. Basically, um, the I'm, I'm, I'm apologies if you are uh, younger than um, I'm expecting, 
Do you remember the dreaded Michael Fish storm of 1986? I do remember it. No, I, okay. I, well, yeah, I, well, very I, well. I was, I, I was just one. I was just one. So I, I hoped you were about my age. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that dis- uh, obliterated uh, the kelp forests on on the uh, Sussex coast, and because the, the forests were obliterated, trawlers then had the opportunity to go in there and uh, yeah, troll the floors. So the kelp's not had an opportunity to regrow. Um, yeah, pound for pound, kelp can remove more carbon uh, from the atmosphere than uh, most tree life. Uh, so, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, little plant. Um, if cows were to eat it, 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 they would produce less methane. So, yeah, again, it's, it's just an all round um, super vegetable to, to use, I guess. Uh, is it a vegetable? Yeah, why not? It's a vegetable. I um, guess, yeah. Yeah. So we obviously don't want to put put it all in our beer, but you know we got to raise awareness somehow. So yeah, we I, uh, we put some uh, kelp into a beer. Where do we go with that? Right. I looked at other beers. People have made um, seaweed IPAs, and I was like, okay, and it's such a big flavour, and it's you know it's quite marmite. I'm a, I'm a I'm a fan of seaweed. My fiance's not a fan of seaweed, so you know how can we? blend it in almost so I was like right we do we've got a very good porter recipe I can pick up tiny bits of licorice now and again when I'm eating seaweed so that lends itself I guess to a porter and then we thought we'd balance out those little in-between tastes by putting in a little bit of fig to help sweeten it up and round it off and then uh, we basically made a big hot chocolate with um, with cocoa nibs uh, just to blend in a little bit of the bitterness together as well so you've got the, the kelp right in the middle that seaweed's salty flavor with a little bit of licorice on the back of the tongue and then you got the fig and the chocolate just blending it together with the beer instead of having a swig and going oh, wow okay there's seaweed there you take a swig and you're just finding little different bits every time and yeah it's it's we make a very good porter anyway so the base of that beer is our porter so yeah it's mm. a very drinkable beer um yeah like i said it's the second iteration we made um, about 100 liters on a pilot kit we were like, will it work? It worked very well. I, I may have been a bit heavy on the kelp on it. So yeah, we dialed <laughs> it <laughs> We dialed it back uh, on the second one. Okay, superb. <clears throat> well, I'm very intrigued to, uh, to try it out. So why don't I do that right now? Bear with me a sec. I'm just gonna open it up and give it a good go. Yes, it's, it's, it's been great seeing uh, people they're drinking this uh, beer because they pick up obviously like, depending on their palace, they're picking up different flavors from it. The porter's already got a lot going on. You know, there's chocolate coffee and toffee going on in there. So there's a lot of that coming through. And I think that it does blend well with the kelp. Like I said, I, I pick up a little bit of licorice off uh, off the beer and that's coming from the kelp. So yeah, it blends nicely with the beer instead of it just like sitting right in the middle of the palate going, there's loads of seaweed in this, drink me. Mm, okay, I'm gonna give it a go. Yeah, I can. I can definitely um, get the aromas of, of the chocolate and a bit, yeah, a bit, um, I don't know, uh, something I can't put my finger on, actually. Maybe a bit um, umami. Yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, there's umami there. And, and someone described it as it it, uh, it smells like barnacles on the bottom of a boat. So, <laughs> to be honest, I've, I've never been that close to a barnacle, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what they smell like, but I took his word for it. Yeah, um, I, I've... I've got to say that if that's the smell that I, that I thought I was getting, I don't think I would have taken a sip. Uh, but no, it's, I mean, um, mm, that, that is really, that's a really interesting beer. Because, yeah, exactly, you're, as you're saying, you're getting the chocolate, you're getting the, the licorice as well, the sweetness of the fig. 
but there's that underlying kind of other flavor which i'm guessing must be coming from the kelp i mean as i say i've never had i've never had kelp in any form before let alone in a beer um but that's a really really nice beer really interesting and five percent as well so again it's not a a big massive um beer that you know you won't be able to have too many of um so yeah it's it's a it's a good beer and, and a great as you say a great campaign to to try to save kelp because if it has all that benefit of um uh, you know removing carbon um from the atmosphere allowing the cows to uh to, to produce less methane if they're eating that then yeah we should really be be helping helping our kelp help our kelp help our kelp yeah so everybody listen out there i don't know what you can do maybe well buy the spear for a start obviously yes. i'm sure yeah, well, some, we, i'm sure we, there's some yeah, exactly. some contributions so there is there there is, yeah, exactly. The, a cut of the, everything, uh, every can bought is sent to the uh, the reforestation charity. Okay, okay, superb. Um, in addition to uh, to this beer and um, the Help Our Kelp campaign, you've also got a few other beers um, interesting that sort of are kind of, I guess, um, mission beers uh, as well, so to speak. I, I, I don't know if that's the right word to use, to be honest, but... You've got um, uh, a, a, the Freedom IPA, which is the um, obviously the UK Ukraine brew beer as well. So I'm guessing that that also um, will produce donations to uh, to, yeah, to the of course to, yeah, um, and also yeah. another beer that I saw in the pack that you gave that you, you sent me was the Sussex Smoky, another porter, yes. uh, which was um, com- uh, in collaboration with uh, Toast, wasn't it with the when they did all yeah. of their, their collaboration beers for the COP26. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's another very exciting beer. Um, yeah, like you said, in collabor- collaboration with Toast, uh, 15% of that grain bill is, um, yeah, used breadcrumb, basically. Um, sorry, unused breadcrumb. <laughs> not used breadcrumb. Uh, you, you, <laughs> there we are. Um, <laughs> that, would, that would be yeah, a different it, beer it, entirely. It was, it, <laughs> It would, yeah, it would be a very different beer. It wouldn't taste nowhere near as nice. Um, again, I really like my dark beers, so the, you know, the, I had the opportunity again to make another dark beer. Um, I, I really like the complexity of the, the grain bills. Um, so dark beers usually first in my mind when I'm thinking about designing a, a brand new beer. Um, yeah, Toss came down. We did a nice brew together using their uh, excess breadcrumb. I was, I've never used breadcrumb before in a brew so it was interesting to see the effects in it uh, you, you can taste a little bit uh you know the crust in there but mainly you know it's providing a bit of body and sugars for the brew um it acted as a little filter as well whilst we were um recirculating our work the the breadcrumb was acting like a filter really clearing our grain up so even though it is a porter it's quite crystal clear it's very very clear even though it is so dark wow. uh, that, that might be a bit of a, an oxymoron but uh, yeah. yeah it's a very good looking beer um it t- and it tastes great and i i recommend anyone who tries it to drink it as two different drinks so as soon as you've opened the can take the smell you, you can smell the smoked malts in there uh and then take the, those couple of swigs and you can you can t- taste that malt really fresh on the front of your tongue and then let it warm up and then it just turns into this delicious, like almost ashtray hot chocolate. So you've got that lovely, lovely sort of smoky, burny um, flavor in the back. But yeah, it turns into a hot chocolate with the rest of the porter whilst it's warmed up. And uh, 
yeah, go, going back to um, what makes a good beer, and I like the simple uh, beers show off that I believe the uh, the abilities of a brewer. Um, I also think that beers that taste still taste good when they're warm is another sign of a, a you know of a good beer uh, yeah. and a good brewery. So you know, beers don't have to be cold to taste amazing. You know, beers is uh, served at certain temperatures, and they should still taste good. That you know, when they get a little bit warmer, because yeah. if you have a beer in your glass uh, at a pub and it's, it's your seventh or eighth, you still want it tasting good all the way to the end. But it's you know, it's going to take you a little bit longer to drink. Otherwise, you're probably going to end up sm smelling barnacles on the bottom of a boat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When you're brewing a beer, let's say that you're brewing something brand new, you're deciding on the recipe. What are those hops? You know, which particular hops and malts are your go-tos? The ones not necessarily that you use because of certain circumstances, but if you were given, if you were told, right, brew anything you want, ingredient-wise, it doesn't matter doesn't matter about the cost of them, the availability, anything like that. What would you be going for? So, well, we actually made this beer yesterday, funnily enough. Oh, um, you're kidding. <laughs> we, we were, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've been given notes. Yeah, um, we, we've been asked to produce a beer for the Lewis uh, Beer Festival. Uh, I believe it's some sort of event tied into camera. And yeah, my, my go-to hop, and if any of my brew team are listening to this, they've probably already said the answer. I'm going to laugh as soon as I say it. Um, is Sabro. I, I, I don't know why, but it's delicious. I, I'm, I'm in love with Sabro. Um, I think um, it was Tiny Rebels, oh my God, they killed Sabro IPA that uh, really showcased the hop for me. And yeah, mm. it's phenomenal, the flavours uh, you can get out of it. Malt-wise, uh, we went single malt on this one as well, and we went all Vienna. So yeah, it's a single malt, single hop, and we went all Vienna and Sabro hop. So um, it turns out only two people out of 15 in the brewery know who Ultravox are. So the name Sabro you're... Vienna was lost on a couple of the, uh, of, of the staff. You're kidding, two people. Oh, wow. That's obviously a very young group in the, uh, the brewery then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called exactly. Sabro, Sabro Vienna. <laughs> yeah, for, uh, uh, yeah, it's just a it's a limited run, so it'll have to be done in Lewis over the next uh, month or two to try it. You never know; it might, um, you know, tick all the boxes and maybe become a regular. We'll see. It, it's not ready to drink yet. Like I said, we brewed it yesterday. Quite excited for it. It's gonna. I think it's gonna end up being six and a half percent. So it's a it's a it's a big one as well. But yeah, Sabro my definite go to hop. And uh, yeah, Vienna malt, yeah, probably up there. Excellent. So that beer then, uh, Sabro Vienna, as you say, brewed yesterday and uh, going to be at, uh, so the Lewis Beer Festival, you say, that's going to be debuting. Yeah, Lewis Beer Festival. The, the date escapes me, but... Uh, if you want to go, Google Lewis Beer Festival. It'll tell you today. <laughs> Get down there, drink all the great beer that is going to be there, including Sabro Vienna. Uh, because that especially is Clark, especially because that is Clark's uh, ultimate ultimate beer. Basically, it's his favorite hops, his favorite malt, ultimate beer. Okay, yeah, very. Yeah. I, I, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to make it as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. And hopefully, it goes down so well that it is. It becomes a beer that you that you do uh, brew again uh, for a, a more a regular, maybe not a core beer, but maybe a regular beer. 
yeah, it might become a bedlam staple, hopefully. We, we might have to dial down the ABV. I'm sure, as you've seen on a lot of the uh, bedlam beers, we don't try to go too big on them. Uh, you know, we like our beers to be enjoyed yeah. for a, a long time. But uh, yeah, now and again, we'll pull one out of the bag that's uh, got a couple higher numbers in it. Yeah. What's what's this one going to be? Uh, six and a half percent, this one would be. So not, not too crazy, but yeah. Yeah. It's, not massive, uh, not massive, but but higher than yeah. higher than the others. But yeah, that's still still in the in the in the fun zone, shall we say? Okay, fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So uh, I do a thing on the podcast where I ask somebody to ask a question um, to the next guest. Now, ordinarily, I only have one guest per podcast, and so the last guest. It's been a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, if the person who I'm talking to listens to the podcast or has listened to the podcast, they'd get the sneak preview uh, of what that question is. Oh. Unfortunately, Clark, you don't have that luxury today because um, this That's episode... No, it's a shame indeed. This episode is a, it's a nice double-hander. Um, I've already spoken to M. Sorter, who's an illustrator and visual beer educator. Um, so I've... Uh, that's obviously, you know, people listening now, they would have already heard that part, but nobody else, or you, you haven't yet. So this is going to come as a surprise, but it's a good question. It's a really good question. Uh, so Emma's asked, When did beer heighten an experience for you? So when did beer make the thing you were doing better? And I'm going to unfortunately have to repeat my story, um, but I'll elaborate on it more. <laughs> yeah, so I was in um, Perth in Australia, and uh, we'd just been to Cottesloe Beach, um, stunning little beach. The weather was amazing. Uh, we were making lo uh, lots of good friends there. Um, we were on tour. We, you know, we were at the, the, the pomp of, a, of our life. We were enjoying everything we were doing. And then, yeah, little creatures, pale ale bang just the icing on the cake it like i said it opened my eyes to craft beer um this this is about i'm showing my age now uh 12 years ago maybe um yeah i just couldn't believe what i was drinking and i'd already it was the first time i experienced australia the food is great you know the ingredients are great they really care about you know how everything is grown there um Everything apart from the animals that want to kill you, I really liked about Australia. Um, yeah, and and little creatures, pale ale, it just absolutely blew my mind. Um, there, there was a he's uh, he was the doctor of the Australian uh, rugby team. He, he's a fellow Welshman as well, funny enough. And well, here we go. That's so much I like there. I've even got a glass of uh, little creatures there. Um, yeah. I, he just gave it to me in this little bottle with a little stubby holder. And I was just like, it's a beer, it's a lager. I'm just going to, you know, get that usual cold, cold lager taste. And yeah, I got, I, I just got transposed to a different hop-filled multi-flawed universe. It was, yeah, incredible, incredible. Yeah, like I said, the, the whole time anyway, we were touring. I was really enjoying being there. And then that just capped it all off completely. It was incredible. Lovely okay. question. And just, uh, yeah, throw back some lovely, delicious memories for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. OK, so, Clark, that means, of course, that it's time for you to pose a question to the next guest that I've got in a few weeks time. So what, what do you want to ask? OK, um, if you had to describe yourself as a beer, 
whether it be a, beer, a particular beer or a beer style, what would it be? Okay. Excellent. Brilliant question. I don't know if that one's been asked before. Apologies if I, apologies no, if it has. But, I, you uh, know yeah. what? I, I mean, I, I think, I don't think that one's been asked before. Um, if it has, it was maybe a, a slightly different. But no, I mean, they're all, they're all relevant. And, you know, even if it has been asked before, of course, the next guest hasn't answered it before. So that's... Uh, yeah, that's all, that's all good. Enough. It's all good. It goes on to the next. Thanks guest. for the out there. Thank, thanks for the out. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries at all. You you provided me with so much good beer. I thought I had to give you. I had to give you a uh, the opportunity to, to get out. Of that one. Well, what, no, it, what would you? What would you? What beer would you be, Paul? You you tell me. Oh what well, beer would you? Be? You know what? I'm, I mean, I'd I'd probably have to go with style rather than indivi- individual beer. Um, and it would yep. have to be stout because um, I am a rather stout fellow, uh, probably because <laughs> of all the beer I've been drinking uh, <laughs> throughout my life. Um, and, um, and yeah, I'm robust. Uh, I'm, I take no prisoners. And yeah, <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say I'm stout. <laughs> no. I like that. I, I'd probably compare my, myself quite similar. I'm, but I'm well, maybe a bit more porterly. Um, but <laughs> yeah, what you see is what you get with a stout as well, isn't it? It is. It certainly is. It certainly is. Clark, listen, um, I've had such a great time talking with you uh, this evening. Thanks so much for spending the time. And again, thanks for the beers. Really, really uh, appreciate those. Um, you are uh, heading off to football, as you said, because you've uh, you've got your football shirt on and uh, uh, you've not been able to join yeah, me. I really, I really wish I could have uh, enjoyed some drinks with you, but uh, we'll have no, to do it another no. time. Totally understand, totally understand. So is it five-a-side you're playing or indoor five-a-side or outdoor? Yeah, just outdoor five-a-side, kicking around with the boys today. Well, uh, yeah, I'll be p- promoting Bedlam as I uh, create assists and chances. It, absolutely absolutely you're the you're a, a midfield maestro then i take it <laughs> there you go i knew you could tell who i was <laughs> clark thanks again for your time and uh, uh i look forward to coming down to bedlam um maybe I, if i can if i can make it uh, definitely for the lewis beer festival or thereabouts i'd love to try sabrovia perfect brilliant Excellent. yeah look forward to meeting you paul have a great yeah. one brilliant cheers then Another enjoyable chat. I love talking to people from all over the brewing industry, but the level of detail you get from brewers is fantastic. I'd recommend Bedlam's beers from the ones that I've had so far. Kelp is a very interesting beer and well worth seeking out, especially if, like me, you're a dark beer fan. Well, it's been a jam-packed episode with two guests today. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. The next episode is going to be in three weeks as I'm heading off to Canada for a couple of weeks. In fact, on the day this releases, I will be in Vancouver on the first stop of my trip. I'm sure I'll be sampling some interesting and new beers to me over there. And naturally, I will talk about it in the next episode. But also, if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at UK on both of those Then you'll see my posts all about the trip there. When I come back, I'll be chatting with Fraser and Sam from Middle Child Brewery, and you can hear that one on the 15th of June. 
The following episode, which is excitingly my 50th episode, will follow hot on the heels of that one during the following week. And there will be some very special guests joining me on that one. Thanks for listening.